The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And welcome to the new arrivals. Um, how many? I didn't see the raise of hands. How many people are new tonight? Great. And how many people have returned? Oh, good. That makes me feel good. <laughs> and uh, Mike has returned to our person who's recording the sound. Um, so I just would like to check in with everybody. Did anybody work on the homework assignments? The first one was writing down your top ten ruminations. The second um, was uh, looking at uh, an emotion or a feeling with soft and kind eyes. And the third being the loving kindness on the go is looking at an experience that's difficult or painful and offering yourself, looking at the experience, but offering yourself the phrases of loving kindness. Um, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be free from suffering and filled with loving kindness. So anybody like to share their some of their top greatest ruminations or insights about them? How many people um, wrote them down? Okay. Okay. Um, how about one? <laughs> Any, anybody? It won't be recorded for posterity, don't worry. Yes. Yeah. I, there's no way I can do this. I've let it go too long. So it's, now I'm too old. Okay. So it's discounting. Okay. And put in freezing you in a I can't mode. And in offering a reason because you're too old. Okay. Well, one of the things that we learn in, in, from the Buddhist teachings is that uh, um, our response to it is often more suffering than the thought. And the thought, you know, is, doesn't have to be a fact, you know, but when you're depressed, you often take it as such. You know, there's, there's no alternative in sight. It's, it's true. And so that's why mindfulness is the life raft, because you get to step back from the rumination and see it as a mental event rather than the stamp on your head. As a matter of fact, there's one exercise in, um, that some people do for, in classes of um, more secular classes of depression, and they actually take one or two of their you know, top ten ruminations and they make a sign <laughs> as a way of just exa- you know, exaggerating, you know, as if, as if, you know, nothing will ever get done because I'm so old, it's over, you know, and then, you know, you, re- you begin after you have it on you to realize the absurdity that that's necessarily how you've defined yourself and even though, you know, you still may think it's true, you see it from a different perspective. So, you know, mindfulness um, as a medicine, we talked about that last week, is really not about fixing anything. You know, it's not, um, the Buddha didn't talk about, you know, that you had to uh, um, be perfect in your behavior or that you could never have another judgment again, you know, or you should get rid of all your ruminations to be cured from depression. He really said, he, what he said was that um, the key of any mind state, including, you know, afflictive emotions, destructive emotions, is really acceptance. You know, um, it's, it's not about um, a hidden agenda that, you know, that, uh, that has to be done or you failed. You know, and, and there was a time in in, the psych, in psychology anyway that was the idea. You know, you had a negative thought and you countered it with a positive thought. And the Buddha's uh, and and you know that's fine. I mean, it's like if you think you know I'm no good or it's too late, you'd say, well, that's an opinion, and and uh, I'm going to offer another opinion, which is it's not too late, and I will make an effort and I will counter that. And antidotes are great. You know, I, I, I like antidotes because they kind of wake up your mind to the stuck, stuckness of the ruminations. But the Buddha said um, something a little different. It said, he said that, um, 
you know, accepting things wasn't about um, you know, trying to attain or achieve anything. It was about seeing what, what's in front of us and accepting it. And even if we don't accept it, yeah, just by noticing we don't accept it, you know, it changes the whole experience. So, um, you know, we see things just as they are in, dep- in, in severe depression or, you know, uh, mild depression, chronic depression, treatment-resistant depression. We see it as it is. You know, the, the, the suffering is like this. This pain is like that. So, um, you know, if, if we have a goal, well, I'm depressed now and I want to be happy later, then, you know, you really miss the moment of depression. And within that moment of depression is really the, the opportunity for happiness. Because as, we, as a few of pe- people noticed last week, when you look at, you know, a feeling of unworthiness or regret or self-hatred, when you observe it, that's how the seeds of kindness and compassion, it grows out of that observation, you know. And you look at it, and I call it soft eyes. You look with soft eyes, you know, just with, with a lot of loving kindness and a lot of compassion. And sometimes we have to look at with strong eyes, like at these beliefs, you know, and to say, you know, but it's true. And then uh, say, well, thoughts, thoughts aren't facts. Maybe it's true, maybe it isn't true. It's just a, it's a mental event. And I don't have to believe it or not believe it, you know, it's a string of words. So, um, um, so the Buddha uh, talked about the fact that, you know, there's three kinds of experience. There's pleasant experiences, and there's unpleasant experiences, and there's neutral experiences. And so normally when something's pleasant, what do we, what do we want? We want more and to have it sustain. And if it's unpleasant, you know, we, we can't wait to get rid of it. And if it's neutral, we don't even notice it. And so, uh, but what they all have in common, the Buddha said, is that, you know, they're all impermanent. You know, they're all sources of suffering because we, we can't cling to any of them. So the medicine is to uh, um, develop a perspective where we see things as they arise and fall without any agenda, with allowing them to be as they are as they rise and pass away, and uh, really endure, you know, that there's a lot of unpleasant things in life, you know, just life as it is, okay? And uh, when I lived in Thailand, uh, they, call, uh, they said auton, you know, it's, it means a patient endurance, and, you know, no matter how miserable you were, the heat, the, the bugs, the this, the that, missing my husband, you know, whatever mindset you're in, you know, it eventually goes. And so in depression, you may think, well, it's, you know, I've been depressed for 20 years. And, you know, that may, you know, that's a label that may be accurate for a long time. But through mindfulness, the Buddha said, you know, when we really look closely at our experience, you know, there's subtleties in it. You know, there's changes in the body. It changes in intensity. You know, it changes in, in, um, in um, just sensation, you know. So it's not this permanent fixed thing, an identity that we grasp. Any other ruminations? Maybe you don't have to reveal your ruminations, but you can perhaps share your insights about your ruminations. Anybody? Yes? We have an I'll never find a job uh, uh, person here. Okay. Any other insights? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so the you know the awareness of how difficult it was, you know, I would say is uh, you know very skillful mind- mindfulness and the appreciation that you were. Uh, willing to make that effort to look at them in a different perspective rather than running around in your head uh, without awareness. You know, you look at them, and the fact is, it is painful, you know. And the question that mindfulness allows you to ask, you know, is do I have to love every experience in my life? You know, can I endure 
this experience? Can I relate to it uh, and see what happens? You know, it's like there is like sometimes there's a fusion. You just believe everything and your mood turns black. And sometimes, you know, there's a space between it. So, and many times, as probably people know here, is that when you really look at something deeply, um, it is painful. You know, and the Buddha said, you know, this is uh, the the vehicle for liberation is one of the doors is suffering, you know, to really move into it, not move away from it, you know, to to uh, understand how it operates and the truth of it, you know, not the truth of your thoughts necessarily, but this is part of the human condition. And these the medicines of loving kindness and just, you know, turning the diamond, you know, it's something that you have to, you know, that all of us have to practice. There's no, uh, you know, it's not like a dose of penicillin where you take it for seven days and that's it, you know. It really does require, you know, very dedicated diligence. And that's why mindfulness is a medicine. It's not, um, it's not a quick fix. So I, I bow down to you for making that effort. And I encourage you to continue to uh, build a relationship with those thoughts and offer them the kindness and the uh, space that they deserve. You know, and then see what happens. But again, you know, we don't have to, uh, you know, uh, love everything. We have to see see how things are in the moment and see, um, as the poet Rilke says, no no feeling is final. You know, no mental event is final. No body. You know, it's uh, it's um, a one way street, which could be depressing, or it could bring us back into the moment of, you know, this is the only one we have. Did anybody uh, work with loving kindness on the go? The Buddha said nobody is more worthy of loving kindness than ourselves, and we really can't offer kindness to anybody else unless we heal our own wounds. So, um, again, I just want to reiterate that... um, that loving-kindness on the go is a really great medicine, mindfulness medicine, because you could do it basically anytime, anywhere, um, and it only takes a few minutes, and um, it offers us a a, a refuge of stepping outside, connecting with our body, and looking at a difficult situation, or mind state, or body state, or memory, and looking at it with offering us the kindness so we don't have that rigidity. You know, it, 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 it uh, smooths out often, not always, the rigidity of the mind or the critical mind. It can, not always. Sometimes when you do loving kindness, and I forgot to mention this, especially when one is depressed at any level, it often brings up, you know, the opposite. It's like I'm not, I'm not worthy of loving kindness. You know, I'm worthless or it's hopeless. And um, that could receive loving kindness too, you know. Um, anger can arise, you know, or, or uh, you know, huge sorrow can arise. And being able to make the effort to hold it in loving kindness, it'll do what it's going to do, okay. But it's guaranteed it'll change. Um, the the burden that we put on ourselves, you know, with these expectations and judgments is really, you know, if we had a weight on, you know, a sack of potatoes or rice, you know, that that's the kind of burden, these ruminations, which really define depression, you know, because the thoughts and the drooping shoulders and the, you know, the the constriction and then the, you know, the the the, the the tape just going pounding over and over and over again. It's like, you know, it's it has a life of its own, and that's when you end up in Depressionville or stay there. You know, I can't get out of this. I can't get out of bed. I can't do anything. Nothing's going to help. Um, 
So what you know, the mindfulness or the medicine is is, is as simple it is, as it is profound, which is just simply being aware of that misery and that you know complete despair is already you know you've taken you've you've taken the action you've taken the pill. So um, uh, this evening I, I want to talk about another uh, medicine that the Buddha the doctor prescribed, um, which is one which is really at the core of Buddhism, um, the core of the, the Buddhist teachings, which has to do with um, the role of intention. Um, the role of intention is otherwise known as, as karma. You know, what there's cause and there's effect. If we plant an apple seed, we get an apple tree. We don't, we've, we don't if we plant an apple seed, you know, get a mango tree. That's a very common metaphor. So in really dealing with depression, you know, we make the, the, the instruction is to make the intention in one's mind, okay, to, um, to work on it, to see it for what it is. So it's not just like you start, to, you know, you start just, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, breathing in and out or doing loving kindness. It's the opening action that the Buddha talked about is the power of intention that for this day or for this hour or for this morning, I will make the intention to look at my thoughts as mental events. I will make the intention to offer difficult experiences and emotions and hold them in the field of loving kindness. I will make the intention to look at experiences with soft eyes or, or emotions or thoughts or whatever arises. Um, and the power of this intention, regardless of its outcome, okay, you still planted the seed and that will sprout. And we don't know when and we don't know where and we don't know how long, but that's how faith develops. So the Buddha said it's really important to set our intention, you know, every day and as often as we can in this moment. You know, I will observe and I will be aware and I will offer, you know, my full attention to this experience. And um, this, as I said, this this is part of what the Buddha called right view. He said we have to see that our life isn't just inconsequential, you know, that we can plant the seeds of a healthy mind. And there's states of unhealthy minds which have to do with, you know, the wounds we've experienced, the memories, the abuse, the neglect, the loneliness, you know, the despair. And so, you know, these are, you know, memories and conditions that are deep in the ruminative pattern that we call depression. Um, we can also make the intention to follow a different, you know, have a different response. And so this is what the Buddha was um, talking about in terms of, um, you know, mobilizing the power of the mind to break the chain, to dismantle the, the, um, the cart, I mean, the, 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 the cargo train that's speeding along, you know, to Depressionville. It helps break the train and so I mean break the the car the passenger cars because we can see something from a different perspective and when that's our intention again no matter what happens you know we've laid the seed we can't control the outcome but we control the intention to examine things and to do the best we can and so the Buddha said there's a very big difference between just doing something on automatic pilot you know, just moving along in the day and, you know, maybe helping somebody get a cup of coffee as an antidote to kind of self-absorption or something like that. But, you know, which is nice, but it's not necessarily planting that seed of saying, I'm going to make the intention today to offer somebody some kindness, okay, and doing it and, and realizing that in that moment, there's a letting go and a change in relationship to one's own mis one's own misery, one's own 
you know, heart, heartbreak. So, um, you know, I encourage you as a as a an assignment to make the intention in the morning, make it in the midday, make it in the evening and before you go to bed. Make the intention of uh, of wanting to heal, of wanting to heal the wounds of the mind. Okay, and that's taking a, a pill of medicine. The mind may object. Okay, the mind may you know be very demoralized and and you know challenging that left, right, and center, the seed of faith that that intention is going to sprout sometime really is a huge part of the healing that the Buddha said. So, for example, um, and what this is one of the things I learned in the monastery, was at the end of the day, and this could be an, another assignment, at the end of the day, um, you, you intentionally bring to mind the, the intention to reflect on the day. And you look at from when you start the day, you know, what kind of intention did you make or not? You know, were you spaced out? Then you look at the qualities of body, speech, and mind. You know, uh, for example, speech. You know, how much critical speech was running around in my mind that I noticed or didn't? And how much critical speech did I say verbally? You know, to what extent did I, you know, I was just slouched and, and, and full of, you know, just I can't, I can't move. Um, um, or what else did I do that, you know, what was my intention to get exercise or whatever, call a friend when I was miserable. miserable. So we go back and we look at what were the seeds where we planted today and take refuge in the skillful things and for the unskillful things it's not an opportunity to beat ourselves up because you know we didn't exercise as much or didn't exercise at all but it's an intention say okay i saw this i see it i you know feel the consequence of it and i'm going to make the intention tomorrow to uh, uh offset this unskillful thing and do something skillful. Okay, does that make sense? It's a really, really nice exercise at the end of the day because a lot of times, you know, many times when we're depressed and self-hating and so critical, you know, we almost feel embarrassed about looking at the positive things so we don't even see them. So the intention to really look honestly and mindfully at the day also say, you know, oh, you know, I gave somebody a parking place or, you know, w- w- you know, you know, wash their coffee cup or, you know, called um, a sick relative, you know, you realize that, yes, these, these, these actions are still in my life, you know, within the framework of what we call depression. So, again, the power of intention, the power of karma, the really the core of the Buddhist teachings, understanding that it's the... Uh, consequence of doing something on automatic pilot is extremely, you know, it's light years away from doing something with the quality of intention. Okay, any questions? Well, um, again, it's good mindfulness to see that, you know, the, the, the should, uh, you know, that kind of requirement and pressure um, in your mind because that, if you feel that, that's planting a seed and you're taking that pressure into whatever you do. And so just that awareness is excellent. I mean, it's powerful awareness. Intention um, is that, I, you know, it's really an effort. It's really a, you know, again, it's a, it's a literal planting of a seed, knowing that whatever is planted will sprout. So if you uh, um, review, you know, the tape of the ruminations over and over and over, it's planting a seed. If the intention is to view those ruminations as mental events, okay, that's planting the seeds that the next time you'll be able to see them uh, um, uh, arise and pass away, perhaps with a different response to them. Is that helpful? Okay, any other? Yes. So the question was, in 12 steps, they, they call it fake it till you make it. Um, 
you know, that that's a mindful thing. You know, you're saying I'm going to, you know, that's an intention. I'm going to at least make the effort, even if it's uh, um, maybe not as not sincere. I don't, I'm not fully into it. So, again, it's it's the conscious intention of what you're going to do. Um, and if that's your intention to fake it till you make it, that's planting the seed of awareness. Okay. So it's again, it's just it's the intention, it's the knowing what your motivation is. Okay. Because we all know, you know, we know that it hurts. If you if your motivation is to hurt somebody because you hurt, yeah. Is, that, is anybody that ring true to anybody? <laughs> um, you know, the pain is so much that you you know project it out. And um, uh, but if you're aware of the intention that you're doing that, you know, that offers a whole different opportunity of choice. And even if you do it and you understand this with intention, you know, it offers a far more powerful um, opportunity for freedom than if you're just doing it on an automatic pilot. It seems very contrary. So I just uh, like to take a moment or two and just ask people to turn to their neighbors or and um, and uh, you know pair and um, uh, um, share experience, share intentions of what you you would like, uh, what seeds you'd like to plant um, over this next week. What seeds of healing? What mindfulness medicine? would you like to plant tonight? So would anybody like to comment on intentions they'd like to commit to? Yes. Because again, you know, in taking this medicine, it's not like we're trying to get rid of it, you know. I'm not going to do it. You know, if it happens, you know, it still could be playing. It doesn't mean you have to gravitate and grab it and have become it is who you are. So you can say, uh, another way, I mean, you could, I don't want to take away your creativity. My intention is to be aware of the self-conscious, I mean, self-critical remarks to, my intention is to offer myself loving kindness. Clear seeing, by the way, is the medicine. You know, that's what it is, you know. Feeling bitter, seeing it. You know, feeling betrayed, seeing it. Feeling rage, seeing it. Feeling it, touching it, knowing it. You know, it's certainly the first step. Is that in you know that intention uh, that's planted uh, offers an opportunity to reveal what the next step is. And it's not always, you know, it could be a deliberate desire, you know, or choice or intention, you know, to take a right or a left as opposed to going straight towards Depressionville. You know, for example, it's often talked about to look at the, you know, look at nourishing activities in your life, you know, the people who are supportive of the places that you go. And so, you know, when when that ruminative, you know, uh, pattern hits, you know, I make the intention that when I wake up to that, you know, I will look at my list of nourishing activities rather than going to the depleting ones. So that is another definitely level. But I also would just like to raise the awareness that we have an intention to do something. It often can be enough because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, it offers, you know, a breathing space. Okay, for something else to happen because we're not necessarily, we're, we've, we've made the intention to plant a seed. And things change on their own. Okay? Now, that doesn't undermine your excellent point that we, you know, the intention to make effort is huge, especially when you're depressed. I mean, it really takes effort sometimes, you know, just to get out of that rut. It just feels impossible. So the intention to, to see the misery, to feel the misery, you know, to know the misery, okay, is releases us to experience an alternative at some point. And then there's additional choices. Um, it may be enough, it may not be enough, but that's where wisdom comes in. Yeah. Um,
But there is something that's very much related to that that I'd like to move on to, which, again, referring back to the the, the Buddha as a doctor and treating uh, the wounds of the mind, um, is the fact that um, he offered us a form of happiness that he called, you know, that, that are commonly called the precepts, the protections of the heart and mind that plant the seeds of happiness that are direct antidotes to the seeds of misery and unhappiness. So uh, the Buddha basically laid down um, a series of activities that he says if we don't follow them, they cause the greatest harm. And he says if you do protect these actions, they will provide you with the greatest forms of happiness. Okay, so it's like if you take this this uh, this medicine that's basically you know it's 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 going to hurt you because you're allergic to it, you know, that rather than taking another medicine that's going to help you, you know, there's we have a choice, and, but we have to know what these protections are, and in Thailand. They call it, you know, raksa, which means we protect, raksa sin ped, it means we protect the five precepts. Okay? Not as, like, in a Sunday school way, but again, as the Buddha said, it's medicine. You know, that when we uh, behave in a way that has dignity and self-respect, okay, again, we're planting the seeds of leaving, leading a life of non-harming to ourselves and others, Okay, on, on the one hand, and we're also avoiding one of the one of the the um, experience of depression, which is you know regret and self hatred and beating ourselves up and thinking that we're worthless. So the first precept um, um, is the precept of not killing, and you know I'm not suggesting I hope not that you know that people would deliberately take a life um, uh, that's one of the ultimate uh, breaking that precept is pretty serious consequences which I will avoid discussing Um, but another way to look at it in terms of a a, um, medicine for depression is the precept to um, to create a non-harming relationship to the experience of depression, because if you look at depression as a, you know, a cl- you know, let's say this thing we call a clock, but I'll call it depression, and you know we're smacking it and just smacking it, you know, it's it's harmful. We hurt ourselves more because you know we hate ourselves for feeling unlovable. We hate ourselves for being unemployed. You know, we hate it, and so this is like trying to kill, you know, in a metaphoric way. Okay, we just want to get rid of that horrible, numbing, miserable feeling, the ruminating thoughts, you know, the feelings of hopelessness. So we try to batter them out of our minds. So I like to I like to offer you that metaphor of taking the, the or protecting the precept that asks us to look at the experience of depression from a non harming way lacking you know uh, and you know what's so great about it is even if you have massive judgments about it if you look if you notice the judgment you're already you know in that protective mode because you've seen it you're not unconsciously or you know automatic pilot uh, judging yourself you say okay you know here I am judging an experience that if I didn't see the judgment could be a potential like bullet, right? You know, planting the seed that you know that judgment's going to, you know, propel you uh, towards depressionville. So, um, this, you know, I, I talk about the mindfulness as medicine, um, but it's also a form of therapy because it's a self-reflection. You know, it's a it's a revelatory insight. How you know, in this course of therapy that we might call, you know, observing and protecting the precepts, um, 
you often see the you know the stains of you know what we've tried to kill you know it's and it's painful you know that if you spent so much time beating yourself up or holding grudges or not forgiving and um uh so again planting that seed of non-harming to the extent that we're able the um you know we're we're as i said the sack of potatoes the burden or the sack of you know steel the uh armor that we put on ourselves um you know is is so damaging it's so painful it's so hurtful so you know what would that intention be to offer that you know armor you know uh just some some space to just see it not trying to kill it or chop it off um and so um particularly in the west by the way one of the great revelations to me when i was in thailand is that they think differently than we do <laughs> they don't have the same standards and it was like i can't believe it you know they're not walking around judging and they're not walking around comparing and they're not walking around je- i mean maybe they're jealous but it's their their you know they're they're not great ruminators and so my teacher would say i've been thinking about something for like four days like you know why did i miss like why did i just eat that meal on automatic pilot and i did it i hated myself for that and then i did it again and then i you know <laughs> felt guilty and then i you know missed a session of meditation because i just didn't want to face my mind. blah 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 you know the train to depressionville and misery and self judgment and he and i would go to him and he'd say you know my kid macloy he was like don't think so much <laughs> i go, Oh, you know, it's like I, you know, it's like yeah, you know, this was completely shocking to me, you know. It's like and and you know, I'm not making fun of, you know, I'm not saying, you know, making judgments of the fact that they don't or I do. It's like but you realize that, you know, the tangle we put ourselves in. I mean, it's just like, you know, over the times that I didn't meditate or I slept through it or I was, you know, the complaining about whatever in the drudgery of just looking at the garbage that was you know popping out like a you know this popcorn thing that was just you know rotting in my mind um um I, you know just that you know that that's the way that's the way it was you know that's the way it was i didn't have to take you know a steel wire and just, and put it around me you know and then it just did what it did but i didn't lock it in place well i did many times i'm just saying you know it, it took it takes a while to get you know get in the get in the uh, groove of getting out of depressionville or or beating upville or miseryville or whatever um and i realized that whatever thoughts other other people were having they you know they weren't like you know putting the noose around their neck and defining the rest of their life as you know completely incompetent and worthless and hopeless so um so we we look at the um the you know the the ways we're wounded okay when we just you know because if you're taking the attitude of non-harming then you know there's a lot of a lot of awareness about how often you know we've been brutal and tried to kill things it takes a lot of uh courage to try to observe the precepts because you know you take off that wire and it you know there's cuts there's scrapes there's wounds there's lashes you know but we do it we make that intention to do it to create a space of non-harming so um um the second precept is the precept of um not stealing and um this precept i like to look at in terms of um protecting the precept of giving you know giving our attention to making the intention giving our awareness is a form of generosity you know because when we don't give our awareness you know we end up stuck okay there's no breathing room for experience in our misery and our sadness right so we offer the like dana you know we offer generosity and say okay you know for whatever this is and for however long it is you know i will offer it the generosity of awareness and it's very painful you know i offer the generosity of realizing you know i've held this grudge 
you know, against somebody and how unforgiving I've been. That could be an ouch, you know, to really see that squarely. But it is a form of generosity because it's it's recognizing a mind state. It's giving it, it's giving, it's like taking a, um, it's like taking a wound, you know, that you have of, of grudging or lack of forgiveness, you know, that we've, we've clamped onto, you know, and then we offer it some air and some light as a f- form of almost, you know, feeding it, you know, generosity, you know, because we're paying attention. And, you know, this whole idea of lack of forgiveness and holding grudges, you know, it's, it's really stealing our self-esteem, if we want to look at it that way. You know, when our self-esteem is in the, is in the mud or sewer or <laughs> how low could you go, right? Um, you know, so this is an offering. It's a generosity to, uh, is an antidote to saying, okay, this, this, this can build a sense of self-esteem. I may not be ready to forgive, but at least I know that the grudge or the, um, the lack of forgiveness that's hurting my heart is there. So again, um, um, being generous rather than continuing um, stealing our self-respect or self-esteem by keeping secrets. The third precept is about um, um, sexual misconduct and you know, having affairs or being disloyal. Um, you know, because when you're miser- miserable, you may reach out and try to grasp for something pleasurable. And uh, traditionally, it's seen as kind of the upgrade model. You know, it's like, um, you know, I'm going to, this this sexual relationship isn't, you know, satisfying, but maybe I can get something more satisfying, you know. And uh, if you want to translate that, you know, as a, as a PILF or mindfulness uh, medicine, you can say, well, you know, what's it like to really just be loyal, you know, to me? You know, what's it like to just be loyal and say, you know, I'm not going to, you know, try to, you know, uh, go out for another meal or, my, you know, do something to, um, you know, distract myself uh, or... Um, you know, find something that is a, really a delusion, you know, to, that's going to, you know, temporarily escape the void and that feeling of emptiness. Instead, we use the precept to say, you know, what's the most loyal thing I could do for myself right, right now? How am I going to observe the precept of self-loyalty? And it usually, you know, that's, that's really hard. It takes a lot of courage because a lot of depression involves betrayal. I think somebody said, you know, self-betrayal. What we do is um, we know something hurts, but we keep going back. You know, there's like a there's a there's a there's a um, a misguided belief that if you you know if you do it again, it's going to be fixed. You know, it's gonna it's gonna resolve itself. And so, you know, maybe staying in a relationship that's 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 um, abusive or staying in a um, you know, staying in a situation that keeps pounding it in, pounding your worthlessness into you, um, uh, kind of going, the kind of going back for more. You know, why do we do that? Well, first of all, we're familiar with it. And, and also there's that belief that, you know, this behavior is really going to lead to um, something that's going to feel good. And so waking up to the fact that it's really a form of betrayal um, and, and, Making the intention, I like that to, uh, you know, develop more self-loyalty skills. You know, is a beautiful thing. You know, I'm not going to betray myself. I'm making the intention not to betray myself today by going into situations that are going to tear me up to shreds and make me feel worse. Has anybody ever done that? <laughs> it's a pretty common pattern. Um, Again, and a very painful one. Um, so, you know, loyalty to yourself is, is you know, again, it's a, it's, it's a form of generosity. It's a form of self-respect. It builds self-esteem. You know, somebody makes a... You know, I used to know these people. I don't anymore. Uh, but they would kind of give me zingers, you know, kind of like 
they, like, like a little stab in the back, you know what I mean? Just like a criticism about something. I was happy about it or like, for, you know, kind of using the Buddhist teachings against you. I'd be happy about, you know, taking a vacation or, you know, going to visit one of my, you know, meditation masters. You know, it's not going to last, you know, because everything's in front. I'd say, well, that's, that, you know, then I'd like wake up. That's not a particularly nice response. And, and finally, I just, you know, said, I'm just going to, it's a longer story and I don't want to go into it. But finally, it was like, I need to, you know, protect myself from the situation. It was just, there was enough of those little uh, jabs and snipes and this and that where I just said, you know, this is like, you know, trashing me. I don't like it. And it's trashing me with a smile on her face, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that was even worse, you know. So I said, well, I'm not going to be polite to that. I'm going to, you know, extract myself from that situation as a form of self-loyalty. It's, you know, I don't want to just sound petty with that one example, but does everybody understand this yeah. kind of what I'm saying? Uh, I, so I said, like, I, I really didn't appreciate that, you know, just kind of using the Buddhist teachings, that, you know to undermine like this this moment of pleasure or happiness about whatever I was saying. And then, you know, I, I, I did kind of avoid the, the situations because I had enough evidence. I felt to, you know, just kind of uh, silently and, and as graciously as I can, you know, could move, just, you know, move away and feeling a lot better about it. And or if, you know, when I'm in this situation with these particular people who, you know, give these zingers, um, I, uh, there's a great expression in Tibetan, I don't know it in Tibetan, but it's like, if somebody gives you something, don't pick it up. You know, isn't that a great expression? So I said, like, you know, so she's giving me a zinger, right? she's trying to give me a zinger, but, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm not going to pick it up. And it's really interesting because it, it flies back when they realize it doesn't work. It flies back, and who, who's it really hurting? It's hurting the other person. So, you know, if I'm around people who do that, I don't, you know, they can give me all, they can give me whatever I want, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to betray it. So the um, the next precept has, is, to, is to do with protecting um, speech, and that's a really good way to get depressed, you know. Um, uh, um, complaining, putting your, you know, putting yourself down, and you know, this isn't to say that talking about uh, depression or hopelessness or suicidal feelings, you know, lacks validity. It certainly does. Um, I'm talking about a more kind of it feeding on ourselves of um, that self-critical talk or critical talk about other people because it makes us feel better, you know, to talk about other people's um, lacking qualities so we don't have to feel our own. So, in a way, when we when we uh, open up that awareness of automatic pilot, again, you just see that critical chatter, and then you're critical to everything, or you're gossiping about everything. And gossiping is another way of of really you know l- losing self-respect because it doesn't offer a sense of safety. You know, if if you hear me gossiping about, you know, if I gossip to you. Then what's the what's the next logical conclusion? Who else is going to gossip to? There's no safety, you know, and which is another form of like kind of losing your dignity, you know. So, um, and some people thrive off gossip or thrive off, you know, somehow you put yourself down, and that's supposed to be like a good thing because you're not supposed to bring attention to your self worth. But the you know the real dignity is um, making the intention, you know, to be aware. Of, of the times that we're, you know, just you know, ready to jump off the diving board of self-criticism or, you know, criti- being critical of others or gossiping, which somebody said, like, it can't gossip that, you know, it's kind of like no fun, uh, you know, in life. But it, it is, I mean, when you look at speech, it is awesomely insightful to see just how much of it is just idle, you know. Just absolutely chattering in your mind, and the, again, the the dignity and the clarity that comes from okay, you know, I will make the intention to at least you know try to you know offer something that has meaning rather than you know that that you know shreds myself or somebody else or just you know the world, you know, especially now 
like the economic, I mean, you know, people don't have jobs and more, you know, I don't have to go through the whole, the whole, you know, the whole difficulties that, you know, the world is experiencing. But, you know, I go to this gym and I'm in this like locker area and this woman, I just, I have this karma to be with her all, you know, it's like, you know, when I'm going swimming or whatever, she's always there and she's like going on and she's like digging the, you know, digging the grave of misery like deeper and deeper. It's like, oh, you know, more jobs are going to be, you know, are going to be lost and more, you know, more people are going to be hungry and more children are going to be hungry. And I feel like, like, you know, just sinking in the water when I go in, you know, it's just like, you know, you know, and, you know, and then I said, well, you know, I guess that's her way of dealing with the anxiety of the situation. I just, you know, instead of taking it on like the, the you know, her burden, I just said, well, you know, yeah, it's really a difficult time, but I, I, I'm not going to make it worse. You know what I mean? Certainly making, you know, talking about it like that way isn't going to make me any better. So there's a beauty in right speech because it, it, it does bubble up the desire to say nice things to people, you know, and that's another form of of generosity, you know, or even, you know, as I said earlier, like making the intention at the end of the day to put the lens on skillful things you've done, you know. And so that's another thing. Well, you know, acknowledging in your heart the things you've done. And so, you know, with through speech, you know. So um, and the fifth precept has to do uh, with an, an intoxicants. Now, I don't need to tell you, or maybe I do, that in, in depression, a lot of people, you know, turn to um, uh, alcohol or marijuana or whatever drug. And this is not a, a um, you know, a, a judgment. It's an observation that it's another way to make ourselves, you know, really miserable because numbing ourselves out, you know, uh, is a temp- is is a temporary form of escape, and it always comes back. And the chances of hurting yourself and hurting uh, uh, friends, family, and others is enormous. And the and the um, the thick relationship between depression and alcohol and depression and drug they are thick thick as thieves. And you know, there's lots of studies on it. And the I, again, it's not the judgment. It's just it it's ta- it increases the pain. And that, you know, intention just to see the pull towards numbing out, you know, with food or drugs or sex or whatever, um, is a really good intention to observe. Yes. Again, it's the intention. You know, I'm going to intend, I'm going to intend to be mindless and space out for an hour. So it's, you know, you've just opened up the awareness. This is what I'm doing. It's taking you out of the fog. So, again, it's the in, in, intention, because when you bring the mind to an in, that you're aware of what you're going to do or what you're doing, okay, it opens up to choice. What am I, you know, can, should I do it? Can I do it? Is this my self-interest? Is there something, as he said, you know, is there something that provides a more dignified uh, medicine at this moment? Okay. This is something that's going to be non-harming. There's nothing certainly numbing out uh, uh, in front of the TV. You know, sometimes it could be very harmless, harmful, and other times, you know, a very skillful thing to do. So uh, that's your own particular wisdom that comes from, you know, knowing what the intention is. So um, the the. Uh, this is practical medicine. This is a practical form of mindfulness of the precepts because it's like having bandages or alcohol in your in your medicine chest. Okay, it's like the, these are the basics that we have to have because, as the Buddha said, not following these uh, precepts are the greatest forms of unhappiness in that order. You know, killing, stealing, uh, sexual misconduct. Lying and intoxicants; those are, you know, they are they are ordered in the um, the impact they have on unhappiness and misery, not just to yourself, but to your family, friends, community, blah blah blah. And is often asked, you know, what if we just observed one of those precepts, you know, in in, the, in ourselves and in the world? I mean, it would be a whole different place if people took the attitude of non-harming. So. Um, 
you know, the, 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 what I, what I urge you to think about in terms of depression and difficulty and automatic pilot is, you know, waking up, is this generous? Am I practicing, you know, the precept of generosity? Am I practicing the precept of non-harming? Am I practicing, you know, the, the precept of, of uh, kind and skillful speech? Am I practicing the precept of, of um, clear seeing by not intoxicating the mind? You know, shopping, the web, whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be liquor or a drug. So what I'd like you to do in the next few minutes is please, um, again, pair up either with the same person or another person and um, uh, talk about a few questions. One is, what what are the precepts that have gotten you in the most trouble in terms of um, depressed mind states? What are the ones that you haven't followed that you could really look back and see the unhappiness and regret? And that's the thing. It's like you've planted the seed. It's like if you if you make if you plant these seeds of unhappiness, it's usually going to make you feel terrible, you know. So regret, and then you know we can go into denial. Oh, it really didn't happen, and I didn't. Die. Making another story up. So what what are the precepts that have really hooked you? And then what kind of intentions that will you make this week, you know, to develop self loyalty, to plant the seed of um, self-respect, to plant the seed of clear seeing rather than intoxication. And as, as you said, you know, what other choices can we make? It may not be enough, you know, just to say, I'm not going to be non-harming. It may be enough to say, I will, you know, avoid this situation. You know, I will not, you know, overuse my credit card. I will not you know, add to the wire that's already on these wounds. You know, I will do something nourishing. There's depleting activities and there's nourishing activities. And I will take that train rather than the depleting train or the train to Depressionville. I will develop a self-loyalty. And, you know, maybe a lot of you don't know what I mean by that. And that's fine. You know, you, you may not. It's just, it's, I offer this as a form of investigation rather than having you believe me. Try it. So, uh, we have a few more minutes, so if you want to stick with your same partner or choose somebody else. Does everybody understand the assignment? Yeah. What precepts broken have created the most misery, and which ones do you want to plant the seeds of happiness? So I, I would say, to, you know, I, w- I would ask myself, um, you know, what, what function does that serve? You know, am I helping myself or am I harming myself? You know, am I make, trying to make myself feel better when I'm critical? You know, you, that's an investigation that comes afterward. I want to just move on to one or two more people because, but I would use that as an investigation. What's the function of being critical? What's the function of being critical? And see, you know, just meditate on that. One more person? Yes. So it's, it's that that's a good thing to know. And then the next step is, you know, why why am I doing it? How am I doing it? Is it going to help? Is it going to hurt? What are the consequences? You know, these are the kinds of questions that are the next step. But the first step is has to come into the light of awareness. And it's humane. Even the point about, you know, past life events. You know, we tell the story over and over again. And then is it going to change? You know what I mean? Is it going to change? And so, you know, again, the Buddha talked about developing uh, an awareness of our relationship to the story. You know, is it regret? Is it fury? Is it, you know, disbelief? What What's the, you know, and it's not just one thing, but we have to ask, you know, what's our relationship to that story? Disappointment, you know, um, you know, shock. And, and, and all of it, you know, it could be a whole stew of reactions, but it's not just the event, you know, it's, it's a response to it. And a lot of time, you know, we use it to be harmful or we use it to be angry. So these are all, um, you know, the first, you know, phase of the medicine. Right. So I, um, we're at nine o'clock sharp, but I just wanted to spend, if, if anybody wants to go, but I just wanted to offer the precepts to you tonight. Uh, with the encouragement, could you hear me? With the encouragement uh, that you um, uh, look at them 
very carefully with a with a with a, a deep lens and appreciation for their power to protect and their power to offer guilt and harm and you know misery if you don't and and to see what extent it is you know I'm not saying you're going to end up in depressionville but you might end up with that kind of you know lousy feeling or feeling betrayed or could done so well anyway I'm not going to tell you what you'll see yourself but I encourage you to do this investigation and it's not all or nothing you know it's not you know like you're killing and you're you're non-harming there's subtleties so um like I said last week with loving kindness uh uh I will be saying the phrase to the extent that I am able okay so because you know who needs another you know slap of the you know, the whip on our backs right um so this this kind of softens okay so and uh there's no pressure this is you know it's up to you um and the intentions you want to make for this coming week and further observation of um your own self-respect, self-esteem and the safety of the people around you, friends and family. Um and the ripple out effect that has the the, huma- the you know the touching the humanity of what it's like to feel safe and uh self-loyal uh or express loyalty. So um you can say it in your mind, you know, to the extent that I'm able I intend to to observe and practice the precept of non-harming. To the extent that I'm able, I intend to observe and practice the precept of generosity, the generosity of awareness and clear seeing with myself and others. To the extent that my, I, uh, I am able, I intend to follow and practice the, pre, the precept of, of um, acceptance of what's happening now and not looking outside this very moment to distract me from this current experience, this present experience. I undertake the, to the extent that I am able, I I, um, intend to practice and observe the precept of uh, using skillful speech, internal speech as well as external speech. And I undertake the precept, or I intend, excuse me, to the extent that I am able, I intend to observe and practice the precept of um, abstaining from intoxicants of forms that um, are maybe unskillful uh, to numb myself from difficult mind states by, by engaging in unskillful activities. And I undertake the intention to really reflect on whether observing and practicing these precepts bring a sense of of, um, happiness or relief, um, interesting results, or, you know, just what happens when I don't follow? You know, what is the... the, um, uh, result of that, not as a way of beating yourself up, but becoming aware of all the subtleties of self-harm and the subtleties of self-respect. So um, the intrinsic nature of our being, according to the Buddha, you know, is this pristine sense of virtue as a vehicle for happiness. And that indeed, the protections it offers, you know, offers a form of wealth, an internal wealth that nobody could take away. It's the 
internal bank account that uh, is the difference between uh, building up feelings of health and, and, and mental health, physical health, um, emotional well-being versus, you know, the other that, that, can, be, that can be degrading and, um, you know, self-diminishing and, you know, frankly, you know, deeply destructive. So uh, I wish you well this week. I'm so happy that people came back. Stick with it. Um, uh, you know, through the through the mud and the sewer, and uh, uh, offering yourself, you know, offering breathing room and breathing space. So, I hope to see you again next week. Please return uh, if you can, and if you can't, I wish you well in your reflections and your honoring your intentions. So, thank you very much. Good night.